wash your hands, drink lots of water, uh, be healthy, and uh, take care of those around you. So in turn, they'll take care of you when it's your turn during the season. But it's good to be together, and we're thankful for the chance that we have to circle up. And this morning, before we corporately gather to worship, uh, we pause here for about an hour and open up God's Word and learn how to read God's Word. It's important to remember that what we do in this time that we call the Bible class time is really just practice. I hope you see it that way. This isn't a checklist kind of activity uh, where you get credit or seat time for coming to Bible class. This is really just practice, like even when we say our prayers or we sing our songs. All of that is just practice for what you do every day at home in your own gathering. And I, I think you'll see the importance of that in the passage that we read today. Uh, for those of you that are just joining us, we have gone through this summer and now a big part of the fall, uh, and I guess into winter, going through the writings of John in your New Testament. So John has uh, several books, the Gospel according to John, which you'll find at the first part of the New Testament, and then at the end of the New Testament, you'll find 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelation. So those five books are the ones that are written by, we believe, John the Apostle, uh, and we discussed early on how there could be some other contributors to that, but for the most part, we recognize that this is the same John who leaned back against Jesus at the Last Supper, the same one who saw him uh, walking on water, the same one who was there at this miraculous catch of fish, the, someone, the same one who helped hand out the bread that Jesus made. I mean, this is the same John who uh, got to run to the tomb and see it empty. And now you have John decades later, now the oldest living Christian, you know, on the earth is writing these letters and we get to read those that he wrote to those first Christians. So we've gone through the gospel according to John. We went through first John and we finished that up last week. Uh, This week and next week we'll be doing this week second John (laughs) and then next week we'll do third John in that order. I'm missing my partner today and so I'm going to do my best to keep things flowing but in a sense uh, you get to come up to the coffee table and we will have a discussion and so everybody will be a part of today's discussion. What Tim and I would like to do with these last two weeks as we're studying through the writings of John is to shift gears just slightly and instead of just presenting this letter of Second John we would like to pass on to you a skill or give us a chance here in this next 45 minutes to practice a skill and that skill is how do you read a New Testament letter and uh, and we'll practice that today with second John and then next week we'll try it again with third John but the whole idea is that again we are practicing a skill that you can use this week when you're reading your own scripture at home and we'll get to practice a little bit uh, today well it's important to remember that the the Bible that you hold this book is not just one book. I think most of you would recognize this book is a library of books. It is an anthology where different types of writing are brought together. And if you were to follow the story all the way from the start to the finish, you recognize that this is one unified story from creation all the way through a fall and then God's work to redeem or restore the world and then it leads to this new creation, this new restoration of everything. That's the whole arc of the story. And when you drop into any of the books, you're dropping into some part of that overall story. But not all the books are written the same. Some of the books are written as historical narrative. You're familiar with those. Those are the stories that you know. Some of the books are written in poetry, like the Psalms. Sometimes there's wisdom literature, like uh, Proverbs, uh, Song of Solomon. 
Ecclesiastes, these books that are really about uh, passing on wisdom. How do you how do you think as a person who follows God? And then when you get to the New Testament, you have more historical narrative, but in a very different genre, this idea of a gospel of good news. And how do you pass on good news in the in this mix of stories and teaching? And that's what you get in the gospels, historical books like Acts. And then, this is the whole point of that whole long statement, is you come to the New Testament, and the major part of this last third of your Bible is made up of these letters, uh, sometimes called epistles, because they're not just letters like, hi, how are you, happy birthday, you know, happy anniversary, that kind of letter. These are, these are teaching letters, so sometimes called epistles. But these are, in, it, at their essence, they are just letters, like you would write. They're written to someone, they're written from someone. And so when you turn to any of these letters, whether it's a letter written by Paul or Peter or James or, in this case today, written by John, you're reading somebody's mail, mail that was written by someone who took a piece of parchment and with a pen wrote a letter specifically to someone, sometimes one recipient, sometimes it was a group of people. But this is a letter. And so when you open up one of these letters, you're reading something that is sacred in many ways, but sacred in the same sense that this was, uh, but it's like that where you're picking up correspondence that was not written to you, and yet it was copied and left for you. And so when you read the New Testament, which presents a challenge, and that challenge is that you are entering a cross-cultural experience. It's the same thing as if you got on an airplane and traveled to a different country or went into a different culture. You're going to hear phrases and words and things are going to be said and done that aren't necessarily familiar. And it's important not to take your own either bias or your own experience or your own definition of words into that experience. It's important to go in with your eyes wide open and say, what can I learn about this culture before I start trying to apply God's word? And so that's what we're going to practice today is a technique for going in and reading a letter and not being distracted by things that are unfamiliar, but rather looking for those things that are familiar, those points of connection, and then finding out what God's word is for us today. Now, there are two rules when you're reading a New Testament letter that are important to keep in mind. And the first rule is this. God's word to you cannot mean something that it did not mean to the original author or the original readers. No fair going into scripture and trying to twist it and bend it and make it mean something to you today that it could never have meant to the original audience. That's just a violation of the whole purpose of scripture and why this was copied. And that's an important thing to keep in mind because we do it without thinking all the time. I want a verse to support the way I'm thinking and so I'll go find a verse that kind of seems to support that without doing the hard work. That can be a very dangerous, very dangerous practice. But that's the first rule, and you'll see that applied in just a minute, is that God's word cannot mean something to you that it did not mean to the original audience. The second rule, which is just to take off of that, is to say, on those points of connection where we share something in common with the original audience, God's word to us is the very same as God's word to them. It's the very same message. So our goal in reading the letter is to find out, first and foremost, what was God's message? What is the message to them, then and there, in that time? And then we ask, what do we share in common with the original audience? And then we're able, and only then, able to say, okay, on those points at which we share something in common with the original audience, 
God's word to them is the same as God's word to me today. So here's a quick way to, uh, to organize that. For those of you that like to take notes and write this down, I apologize, we don't have the screen available today, so you're going to have to use your mind in the old-fashioned sense. I'll give you the outline and just build this in your mind, or you can write this down. I think the easy way to remember these steps is the acronym READ-IT. So R-E-A-D and then I-T. R stands for something that you've heard me say many times, and that is when you pick up a New Testament letter, R stands for read and reread the entire letter. And you will find that there's no uh, better thing that you can do to understand the meaning of a particular passage in a letter than to go back and read the whole letter. So read and reread the entire letter, that's R. E stands for excavate. Excavate for historically relevant statements. And that word excavate should bring to mind this idea of archaeology, when we were first teaching this, this was years ago, back when Indiana Jones was brand new, you know, and everybody was excited about archaeology. Uh, the idea when you're going into scripture is that you don't go in as a person who's just digging up old things. You know, those of you trying to dig out of the snow, you use a shovel, you throw a lot of snow at the same time. That's not how you enter into an archaeological site. You don't go in with your shovel and just start throwing dirt. You go in with these tiny little tools and you scrape off just one layer at a time and use a brush to take off one layer at a time. And by doing that, you find these layers of history in archaeology. The same is true of scripture. If you allow yourself as you read to excavate, to just slowly you know, uh, brush away things that might be blinding you because of a modern context, you're able to find these historically relevant statements. And we'll show that in Second John here in a moment. A, starts for, a stands for allocate a particular passage to study. And so in this case, it's easy with Second John because Second John has one chapter and it's basically one passage. But we'll take a, a few verses here and just say, let's see if we can figure out what that means. And then D stands for determine what this passage means to the original audience. And if you've done your homework and you've read and reread the text, if you've excavated those historically relevant statements, and if you have uh, allocated a, a passage to study, then at that point you're able to say, this is what this passage means to the original audience. I stands for identify what you share in common with the original audience. That's the I, so try to find those points of connection. And then at the end, and only at the end, are you able to say today, that's what T stands for, today, this is what the passage means. Remembering the rule that the passage cannot mean something to us today that it did not mean to the original audience. So does that make sense? R-E-A-D-I-T. Let's practice that. And that's really the rest of class today is let's practice that. But let's practice it using Second John. There's two ways to learn. One of those ways of learning is for the teacher to impart some knowledge to the students. <laughs> Simply say, this is what I found. Let me impart this to you. There's another way of learning which scripture seems to use a lot more, and that is it invites you to discover something, the treasure hidden in a field. And this is the fun part of teaching. It's when we, together, go into a letter that was written 2,000 years ago and together discover what was written here that is for us as much as for the original audience. All right, that's all preamble. Let's, let's put this into practice. If you would, turn over uh, in your Bible, turn to 2 John. This is going to be at the end of your New Testament, after what we call 1 John. 
you'll find the letter of Second John, and you'll find that it's much shorter than any of the other letters. It usually takes up one page in your Bible, and that gives you a hint that this letter originally was probably written on one piece of parchment, just a small piece of ancient paper. And the reason it's short is that John was running out of room, <laughs> and so he had to tie things up and send it off. This was a typical letter in the first century. And so you are reading now somebody else's mail. Let's take the first step and read, excuse me, read uh, the entire letter. And for those of you that have already read it once, this is going to be your re-read. Second John, chapter, chapter 1, which there's only one chapter, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is his commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." Though I have much more to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. And that's the end of the letter. Second John. I don't know the last time that you heard a sermon given on Second John, or if you've even picked up Second John and read it. But there's a powerful, powerful message here, and there's a reason that this letter was preserved for us. Let's see if we can figure it out. So taking the first step is to read and reread a New Testament letter. The next step is to allow yourself time to excavate for historically relevant statements. And specifically, you're looking for three things. What do you learn about the author just from this text? And if you need to go outside the text, that's fine too. But what do you learn about the author From this letter, what do you learn about the recipients? What are some specific things that stand out about the recipients? And then third, what do you learn about the occasion? Meaning, what's going on here that made the author want to write this letter to these recipients? So let's spend just a few minutes talking, and now this is the part where we all jump in and share. Uh, Just brainstorm. As you're reading through this text... Uh, What are some things that stand out to you as historically relevant statements about the author, the recipient, or the occasion? What do you see that gives you hints? (laughs) 
So let's start with the, yeah, the author is the elder. <laughs> That's the way it starts. Marilyn, thank you for starting us out. There's one historical statement is whoever's writing this is an elder. What else do you notice? Maybe let's run with the elder for just a minute. What do you rec- what else do you learn about the author? What do you know about this elder? Good. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Thanks Randall. This this letter is written from the elder who knows the people who are going to receive this. It's not just a blind letter, you know, to all of you who live over there. It is a very targeted letter and you get the idea it's a personal relationship. What else? It's written to a woman. Now, how do you know that? Because it says the elect lady, so not just any woman. Yeah, there's this statement that it's written, at least the way he wrote this is to, seems to be a personal, to a respected woman who is called elect, which must have its own meaning in the first century. What does it mean to be an elect woman? If I were to, I'm just playing with this a little bit. If I were to say that today to the elect lady, you would think somebody, you know, had run for office and got appointed. You know, you'd think that's what I was talking about. That's not what it meant in the first century here. Elect means somebody chosen by God in a special way. What else do you notice? Either about the author or now that it's written to this lady, this elect lady. What do we recognize about her? Yes, Danny. Okay, so, and that brings up this idea of when this letter was written, did he have in mind the same idea of elder that we might have? You know, whether it's Tony or James or Stephen, you know, is that the same idea or is there more to this? But what we can say from the letter is that that word elder carried this idea of a leader of the church. And why did the word leader pop to mind for you? And so he's expecting, I'm writing this to you as a directive that you're going to follow. Is that what you're bringing out? Yeah. Yeah. Good. So we have this elder who's clearly a leader, clearly involved in their lives, and he's writing a letter to a lady, this elect lady. What else do we know about either one of them? Ah, so the recipients, thanks, Mike. Yeah, so the recipients are not just the lady, but also her children. And what do we know about them? Yeah, do we know who the elect lady is? Does, does John identify who this is? No. But he loves her, yeah. So there's this endearing statement, a relationship. He loves her. Ah, now this is a good insight. So he's writing a letter to people who are following the truth or not following the truth. They are. 
people who are of the truth. And the children specifically have been found to be aligned with what is true. Yes, Danny. So what do you learn from that? Now we have more historical perspective. Ah, so here, and Danny's pointing out one of the ways of thinking about this is, is it, well, we're not saying it's not a woman. What else could this mean? It can mean to an elect person, woman, or what's Danny pointing out? Ah, so could he be writing to a group of people, what we would call a congregation, a church, and referring to that church as the elect lady? And then the children would be the people who were Christians because that body of Christ exists, yeah. And then they're the elect ones, yeah, which you see in other parts of Scripture. Now, what you've just entered into is a major debate where there is lots of ink that has been spilled and lots of debate at the highest levels on, is this written to one lady or is it written to a whole church? Now, I'm going to, so we don't get sidetracked into that. Let me just let you know, this is a big debate and there's not an answer to it. But let me give you a little hint as to each side. One of those is, as Danny brings out, is that you have John's referring to two different groups as the elect lady, or it could be that he's referring to two people. Could it be that this lady, one person, sister, lives in Ephesus and is part of John's church and that her sister came over and visited and became a Christian during that time and then went back to Pamphylia or Sardis or one of these other places. And so John's writing a letter to, in other words, he knows this family of people. And so that, that's what he's referring to. Uh, or is he referring to two churches? But as a sort of metaphorical way of writing a letter to a church, he uses this term lady. And then people have, arguing both sides of that, have said, maybe John's trying to protect somebody here. So unlike next week when we read 3 John, and John writes very specifically, I'm writing to Gaius. He puts the name of the person. Um, But when he's writing this letter, he sort of hides the recipient's name. Is that to protect somebody? Some have argued that that's because this is an individual, and this is an individual who has a house, and in this house there is a gathering of people who are followers of Christ, and John's trying to make sure that whoever intercepts this letter doesn't know exactly which house to go to and arrest and persecute the Christians. So some have argued that, especially since it is a woman in the first century. Uh, Others have said, no, this is is a congregation of people. (laughs) And so when he writes to the elect lady. Now, neither one of those or excuse me, the, the meaning of Second John hinges on neither of those opinions. And that's why I say let's not get caught up too much in that. But do know that all you know from Second John is that it's written by someone who's older and it's written to someone or a group of someones, either a lady and her personal children or a church with those who gather. So good job. You already found your way into the historical 
historical milieu. What else do we learn, though, about regardless of who the recipient is? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you start to say, okay, now I'm going to pull in what I've read, same author, most likely, in other books. What is the pattern that I recognize? Good. What else? Uh, let's look for some other historical documents. I mean, sorry, historically relevant statements. This is a historical document, <laughs> but in this historical document, what else do you learn about what's going on? Here's a, here's a blatantly obvious question. Uh, how, how do you communicate in the first century? With the example sitting in front of you. There's two ways, and John tells you the two ways. Speaking and writing, yeah. One is to talk face-to-face, and the other is writing a letter. And so there you see, okay, I've dropped into a historical time where if I want to communicate, I write a letter and then that's sent, or I actually go and visit face-to-face. What else do you notice about the occasion? Maybe a little bit of Why would a letter like this need to be sent? Ah, and so we learn historically there is this group of people that are called deceivers. They also have another name too. Oh, go ahead, Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. And so they they went out, and they're called two things in this book: uh, deceivers. You mentioned, and what's the other name given? the Antichrist. So do you remember running into that word in 1 John? It's, it's like he's talking about the same people that he was warning about there in 1 John, but now it's in a much more personal way, sent to a targeted group to say, these deceivers are coming. And then, Tracy, you brought out correctly, historically, these deceivers, uh, the word there is planos. It means these wanderers, these people that kind of have their, they believe in something. I like the way you said that. But it's just sort of wandering and weird. It's not what is of what is real, which the word John uses for that is truth. It is not of the truth. And so these deceivers are going out. How do you think those deceivers transmit their wandering, weird message? How would they do that? Yeah. So they they could either be writing letters. We don't have those until later in time, but not in this period of time. Or they would go face to face. Ah, so that now we're given another hint about in the first century. Uh, oh, here's a good question. In the first century, did they have hotels or inns like we might today? Ones that could get full and there would be no room left in the inn. Yeah, they had they had it wouldn't be the same as today, but there was places for travelers to stay. But there was this other way of taking care of people. And what is John alluding to here? That would have been a I mean, he's giving you a hint. This was a common practice of if if you had travelers, how did how did they receive housing and food?
right? And we're getting to the point. Yeah, so don't interpret this just yet. Look for the historical hint there. What is, what is that phrase telling you about the culture of that time period? Yeah. So nowadays, if a stranger shows up on your doorstep, you are likely not to say, well, why don't you come in? Spend a few days. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that'd be a little strange for us. But yeah, John's hinting at in the first century, it would not be unusual to... The word greet here means more than just say hello. It means to give a warm welcome. I'm so happy to see you come into my home and provide housing. Do you see the historical hint here that there's a way of practicing hospitality that may be different than than our own? Yeah. So court says when somebody shows up at your doorstep, you don't know what they're going to teach unless, and we, you alluded to this, unless they showed up with a letter. And this was a common practice in the first century where you would show up with a letter that says, hey, this person is legit. This is someone who teaches what is true. And that was really common. Even Paul talks about this. He says, I don't even need a letter because you are my letter. <laughs> you know, he's referring to this practice of writing letters. But apparently, sometimes people show up and they don't have a letter. Um, and so, Mike, this is really the point there, is that it was common practice. So we're living, kind of imagining a time when there would be people traveling from one place to another, and there were all these teachers. Now, if, it, if a teacher, I'm getting ahead of myself here, uh, but it is a, a big hint, is what is something that these recipients did not have, but you have? And I'm going to answer this question so you don't, I have to spend too much time on that. And is they, they did not have the, the same writings <laughs> that you have access to. You have access to the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke. Uh, they did not have access to that. But they did have access to something that you have access to. And that is the gospel according to John. I don't know if that letter would have circulated at this point, but they had access to the author of the Gospel according to John. Do you think that this dear elect lady and her children had heard any of those stories that you read as we read through the Gospel according to John? But they got to hear them from the one who saw it. Isn't that amazing? But they didn't have the ability to turn to these other Gospels at this point. Maybe uh, it, you know, it's conceivable that they might have had access to one or two, but it, it, my point is there the whole New Testament wasn't brought together. They would have access to the writings of the old scripture if they had access to the local synagogue, and many of them had been kicked out of that synagogue. Wow. See what my mind does? They start thinking historically to what kind of setting were we in here? Um, anyway, I get distracted by the historical part. What else do we recognize about it? <laughs> Ah, so court points out that, yes, this would have been a mixed group. 
And we're not really told here, are these Gentile believers? Are these Messianic Jewish believers who embrace the Messiah? We don't, we don't really know. But we can assume it's probably a mix of, of both. Yeah, and so John reminds them of what love is. It is an action. It's following a commandment. And now we're going to start our transition to say, what, what does this message mean to the original audience? Now you have in mind what the original audience was like. We've identified this elder, someone who's walked with Christ, and is now has people who are following Christ, and he refers to these people as children, and he's writing to this dear elect lady with her children who are also followers of Christ, but there's a threat. And that threat are these people who are not teaching what is correct. But these people have been taught we must love one another, which means practicing hospitality, right? It's what John said. If anybody has material possessions and sees somebody in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So immediately you would say, I need to practice hospitality. And you catch that the elder says, there's there's a, there's a risk in this and that in practicing hospitality you could start practicing hospitality for somebody who's teaching what is he comes out and calls it evil do you see the historical setting now so let's drop into just one passage and now that we've kind of excavated for the historical statements let's just look just for practice let's just look at verses 8 through 11 which is more or less the heart of this letter In verse 8, he says, Watch yourselves, literally look at yourself, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And now I want you to do something that will be hard to do at first, but it's good it's a good habit. Answer this question. What does that passage mean to the original audience? What does it mean to this elect lady or if we're thinking of it as a congregation to the first recipients, Danny? Thank you. Yeah, and that's exactly the point, is that when you run across a truth, (laughs) you're going to see it written, whether the letter was written to Galatia, they're dealing with the same problem uh, as wherever this letter was going that John was writing. What does this passage, verses 8 through 11, really look at that and say? So Danny points out, it's the same message that Paul gives and others 
will give. What is the point to this original audience? Court. Yeah. Yeah, you have something amazing. Court says you could lose this whatever it is that he's referencing. Yes, Penny. Hmm. Okay. So there's yeah, there's a there's another historical statement. Ah. Yeah. And I bet John's going to have to write another letter about that. <laughs> Which we may get to next week even. So think about if you were sitting in this in this house. So most likely this group of people, these children are in a house and they've just received this letter. And they read that verse 8 through 11 or it's read to them. What did that mean to them? Yeah, so the teaching is something that perpetuates. Good. Yes, Tracy. Yeah, there's somebody among you or will soon be among you that are not teaching what's right. And then what is the message to them? There's a directive here. And what is the message? Do not receive them. Because what happens if you receive them? Yeah. Do you see the dilemma in the first century of, oh, I'm being taught, and for the first time, uh, I recognize that I am to lay down myself for others. This is what it means to truly love one another, is to lay down me, everything that I have, including my home and my stuff. That is a part of practicing hospitality. But John gives a corrective to that and says that does not mean that you blindly support and use whatever you have to promote a message that is not true, is not real. Do you sense the corrective there? And you can totally see that. I mean, we're not even applying this to today yet, but you can see how that would be a dilemma when people were practicing hospitality. This was something the Christians were known for. But there were certain people they were not to have into their house and they were not to provide support to. And specifically it was those who went beyond, and he uses this phrase here, the teachings of Christ, or some of the versions will say the doctrine of Christ, but literally there is the teachings of Christ. And where would you find the teachings of Christ? John doesn't list them out. He just assumes you know that these are the teachings of Christ. Where would you find the teachings of Christ? Yeah, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, which they probably didn't have. But they would have received the teachings of Christ and the gospel according to John, which either they had in a written form or they heard John teach. 
because they are of his children. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And John's saying, if, if people come to you and they're not teaching what I taught you that Christ passed on to us, don't promote that. That's the message to them. And now the next step becomes easy. What do we share in common with the original audience? We share Christ. Yeah. What else? What are some common particulars? Yeah. Same thing. People will go around. They'll take Christ and something, want to add to the teaching of Christ. Yeah. And they're around us all the time. Not just here in a congregation, but at work, at school, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. Any other common particulars? How does teaching spread today? In two big ways, either written or face-to-face. What's really interesting to me is that the whole face-to-face option has totally blown up. Think about the ways, let's just think for a minute, what are the ways that teaching enters your house? Make a list. So uh, somebody lifted up their, uh, (laughs) okay, think of all the ways that you allow access teaching that comes into your house through social media, Facebook, Hulu, Netflix, Disney, social media, the internet. Are there other ways? Sometimes people will come knock at your door. Sometimes it truly is still face to face to face. Yeah. Well, the point is that we share that in common. So their teaching still gets transmitted in various ways, though those methods may be a little bit different. Anything else you can see in common? We share Christ. Teaching still spreads. You've got, as we learned in 1 John, seed of the serpent versus those who are children of God are still in the mix. What's that? We still meet as a congregation. Yeah. So I wonder if you could, in 30 seconds, tell me then, what does this, in those areas where we share something in common with the original audience, God's word to us is the same as God's word to them, what does this passage mean? I hesitate to say to us. What does it mean? Verses 8 through 11. What does this passage mean? Can anybody summarize that? I love that that phrase, watch out. That's exactly the word he uses. You better watch out. Keep your eyes open. How else would you summarize this point? Ah, wow, you caught it. This is an example of exactly what John taught us in 1 John. Test the spirits to see whether or not this is a teaching that is of Christ. Yeah. Test that. 
Good. So John's giving an example of that. Say, don't accept every form of teaching that comes into your house. Test it to see, is this of Christ? Is it the teaching of Christ or not? And if it's not, what would John say? If a teaching is coming into your house and it is not of Christ, what do you do with it? Do not take it into your house. Isn't that amazing? Do not take it into your house and do not feed it. (laughs) Otherwise, you're taking part in the evil work. Well, that's a great summary of that passage. Here's where I landed. Can I share with you where I landed on this? You you found the point of 2 John. I got to the end of that and I caught myself being very thankful for all of the women in my life who made sure that the teaching I received was the teaching of Christ. My mind went back to my great-grandmother, Mama Green, they called her, and my grandmother, Grandmother Coggin, we called her, and my mom, and my wife, and all of these dear elect ladies who have followed what John said and did not allow teaching that was not of Christ to influence me and my growth. Isn't that a beautiful, a beautiful thought? And I was very thankful that John wrote that letter to whoever the dear elect lady is. And somebody copied that and wrote it down as a warning to us today that all of us have a role in guarding what comes into our homes and our collective, our collective home. Anyway, that's class for this morning. Next week, we'll go through the same exercise and see if we can find the message from third John. And I look forward to that class next week. Let's prepare for worship. Thank you.